I want to um, start us off with prayer this morning, and then I'll even close in prayer because I think it's that important. Um, but I do want to start with prayer, and so I just wanted to know quickly, briefly, uh, is there anything we can be praying for you? Is there anything that you want to report as a praise? Just to how can we, uh, in this room together as a class, be praying for each other? If not, I'll just open this, but just wanted to give that opportunity. I want to praise. Yeah. My brother last week uh, went to the ICU. They didn't know what to do. And they, he lives in California. Yeah. They tested him positive, but he had all his shots. And the nurse told him, whoever comes to hospital, they are positive. Mm. And I think because the insurance paid good for that. <laughs> and they were going to do angio cerebral thing to go to his brain. Mm. Praise God. Next day they told me he's going to be prayer. I had the whole group to pray. Go on with God's pray. Next day he was okay. They told him keeping me another day. And they sent him home. Awesome. <laughs> so that was God's miracle. Wow. I love that. What's his name? Masood. Masood. Okay. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes, it awesome. is. Masood. Well, let's pray this morning. Uh, God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. God, thank you that we can pray to you uh, through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We we praise you for for who you are and what you've done. We praise you for Masud. He is okay um, that um, you provided a miracle in his life and that there was not um, a need for any sort of complicated or extraneous medical procedure, but that he is doing okay. Thank you for that blessing to him and his family. Thank you that Martha Ray also come out of her surgery well. Praise God for that. Thank you so much that you um, guided the doctors. God, thank you for the doctors, for the time they've spent uh, honing their crafts and preparing to do things like this. Thank you for guiding them. Whether or not they even know you, God, we know that you use them. Um, And we thank you that uh, Martha was surrounded by family, that she's recovering well. Thank you that there are already so many people who want to support her uh, by helping her, giving her a meal train. Just thank you for uh, for that whole thing. And just be with us this morning as we uh, go a little bit deeper into the topic of prayer. Uh, just teach us what it is uh, that we need to know this morning and just be with us. And uh, we thank you for all this in your name. Amen. All right. Um, <clears throat> hey, Dana. Um, so we're going to be talking about prayer again. So last week, so the whole thing, right, we're talking about the ordinary means of grace, and we'll go into that a little bit. What I'd like to do is I'd like to recap a little bit about the ordinary means of grace as a topic, and how prayer fits into that. And then, honestly, I was kind of looking back at what John spoke about last week, and he did a pretty good job of speaking into prayer generally enough that I feel like all the things that I would kind of want to say about uh, prayer in an individual setting, he kind of covered. So I do want to revisit some of that, um, and then I'd like to talk about um, what prayer looks like corporately. So the topic this week was supposed to be prayer in the context of the individual, uh, in family, and in, in church, corporate church. What I've done is I've, I've, I have combined a corporate and family. Corporate obviously is a encompassing term. It basically means more than one. Um, and so just for the sake of time, I've kind of combined them, and we'll talk about what it looks like in the within our congregation as a church family and within our own families as well. 
Um, <clears throat> so anyway, let's start by just quickly revisiting the ordinary means of grace. Um, in your own terms, somebody tell me, what, like, what is an ordinary means of grace? When we say that, what does that include? What does that mean? Somebody remind me. Ordinary, it's something that you don't deserve. Yeah, yeah that's grace for sure. What are the means of grace? What are the, what are the sort of the topics that we're covering uh, in terms of ordinary means of grace? So we're talking about prayer, what are the other ones? The word. Communion. Lord's Supper. And the other one is um, fellowship. So these are the ordinary means of grace. When we talk about sanctification, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, when we talk about the means of grace that God uses to uh, sanctify us, to grow us, we are talking about things like uh, prayer. We're talking about things like baptism. We're talking about things like the Lord's Supper, uh, fellowship of the saints communion with each other and communion with God. So that's what we mean by the ordinary means of grace. So then we've been talking about prayer, and John did a very good job, I thought, of sort of introing prayer. He talked about the doctrine of prayer, sort of the theology of prayer, um, and did a really good job of sort of introing that whole topic and kind of laying a, a, a foundation for what we'll uh, talk about today. So like I said, we're going to be talking about uh, prayer in the context of the individual uh, within a family setting within a corporate setting. Um, and like I said, I've combined uh, family and church into one being corporate. So uh, I wanted to start by just real quickly reviewing what we what we mean by prayer, by defining prayer, why it's important, how does it fit into um, the ordinary means of grace and this conversation around that. Um, I think John actually said this as well, but I think it bears repeating. So the Westminster Shorter Catechism sums up the prayer very nicely. It says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. So there's a lot of different elements that kind of go into prayer and it kind of very uh, basically covers all of them. Uh, it's offering up our desires for things that are agreeable to his will. It's a very important asterisk, as you remember. Uh, we are to pray that uh, not just for what we want, but we should pray that we should be conformed to Christ, right? That's what our prayers look like. Our prayers should be, God, conform us to the things that you want us to be conformed to, right? And there are things that we want. It's not wrong to ask God for things, but we should also ask with the spirit of, um, a spirit of hope, but a spirit of hope in that God will give us what we need, right? And we can expect that he will. And it may not always be what we want, but it will always be what we need, right? Um, we pray in the name of Christ. We talked about that. Um, I thought that was really powerful, Damien. I'd, I'd heard that before, but you kind of reminded me of, um, and I'll get to that in a second, but understanding how prayer is this Trinitarian experience, right? We're praying to God through the name of Christ, but we can only pray <coughs> through the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So literally every sort of part of God, the whole, the totality of God, is involved in prayer. Um, and how cool is that, right? So um, the fact that we have a relationship with a being that's constructed in this way and that it's not just this amorphous blob in the, in the heavens, right? It's this person, this three persons in one, um, right? So we get to have this relationship with, with that sort of creator. So 
why is then why is prayer important? Why why is why is prayer necessary and needed in the life of the believer? No right or wrong answer here. Just curious. For me, I realize I am nothing when I come to him. So humble, and the more I ask, I talk, or I seek his word, or to pray, and then I realize um, how sinful I am. And especially last time I opened the Bible as a God, what you want me to read, and give me wisdom in how to intercede. The chapter 9 of Daniel came. And that's a prayer, and how sinful we are, or nothing in our. So it really made me to know me better in Him, comfort to Him, and in that the need of Him. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. It reminds us of our utter dependence. There's the act of prayer itself is a recognition that you can do nothing, and that everything that you need can only come from him right absolutely I'm trying to find this <laughs> quote real quick that goes along with that it's a comfort it's a source of peace it is a sort of yes absolutely where is that quote another thing is a witnessing when the prayer answer when we witness encouraging other people like with my brother he was armed wasn't working, he was paralyzed arm, couldn't speak, so, and his leg, if that's why it was miracle. At the same time, I prayed for all the people to pray. There was other prayer came similar to that, but some worse than that, they all got healed. So it was 4th of July for us, more a celebration of God, and the work he did in his people. So it was a word of testimony in in reach the people that they don't know even God. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of a quote, just kind of what Damien was saying. Michael Horton said, you know, people ask me, why pray if God is sovereign? I respond, why pray if he isn't? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Prayer is simply communication. I will tell you, um, as a teenager, one pastor that I heard pray, and we weren't even in the same building with him. I heard him on tape. And it sounded like he was talking to God, and God was right in front of him. It's not a high and lofty thing. It's a simple thing. It could be as simple as help, you know. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to communicate our dependency, our needs. Um, it's a source of peace, source of hope. And number one is the opportunity for us to confess our sins as well. You know, all of those things. It's just simply, just like I'm talking to Damien yeah. right here. That is, I mean, we can boldly come before his throne through prayer and um, just talk to him. It's one of the reasons why I love the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. Not because of, you know, anything else in the movie except for when... Um, Reptivia is praying. Really, he's not. I mean, he's not praying with his eyes closed and his head down and his hand. You know, no, he's just walking around doing his daily stuff. And he's just, why is this happening? I don't understand. What are you, you know? And, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now we must that. realize he is a holy God. Mm-hmm. We must realize whose presence we're in. But like Vic and I were talking yesterday, you know, 
um, God knows what's on our heart anyway. Right. He, he already sees it. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about someone who was um, praying to God and um, yes, he came reverentially, but he just laid it out. <laughs> you know, this is what I'm doing. And I told Vic, you know, God knows it's already there anyway. Yeah. You know, so sometimes to be able to speak it, like Vic said, sometimes I'll say something. I'll say, um, you know, God, you don't love me. Or God, where are you? You're not here. And as soon as he says it, he realizes, that's, that's stupid. stupid. <laughs> you know? I don't know if I summarize that in a point here, but that is exactly. Um, Phoebe actually mentioned that last night. I was We were just kind of talking out on the porch about this lesson. And um, I was trying to figure out what, you know, what I could share in terms of the context of the individual. John covered a lot of that. Um, and I think in my own head, I was just trying to like, you know, dissect it a little too much, but that's what exactly kind of what she said was prayer is this opportunity to say the things that we're thinking mm-hmm. out loud mm-hmm. to God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we say them out loud, we realize very quickly where the things that we're feeling in our hearts and minds, it, we very quickly see where they either do or don't align mm-hmm. with who God mm-hmm. is, what he says in his word, what he wants for us. There's something about say, literally saying it out loud mm-hmm. that sort of a lot realigns us um, back to him, which is really cool. So I just said that prayer is, an, uh, is a necessary and expected part of the, of the Christian life. Uh, we're taught in Scripture to pray always. So in Luke 18, uh, he says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then obviously 1 Thessalonians 5, that'll get repeated a lot in any kind of conversation about prayer. But uh, pray without ceasing, dot, 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 for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Right. And just a footnote on that. I think... We're being honest. I think there are times, right, where we've read that verse, and we've all—it's almost given us pause, right? Why would that give us pause? Because we don't pray without ceasing. We don't pray without ceasing, <laughs> right? There's this fear of like we have to be praying nonstop. What happens if I don't? What does that mean for me? Is God angry with me? Am I in sin? And again, I think as John kind of put last week, it doesn't mean that we're literally like uttering words every single step of every direction we're going all you know all day long, or we're in our closet all day. It's it doesn't mean nonstop. It just means having this posture and this spirit of dependence on God. And it does mean pray as often as you can. That's true too, right? But we don't mean that in a very, we don't mean that in a legalistic, like you need to be in your closet eight hours a day. That's not what that means. Pray without ceasing basically just means that you're mindful of who God is and your relationship to him, your dependence on him, uh, and that we pray to him, whether that be in our, beside our bed as we wake up or we go to bed. Uh, it may be in the car, it may be just walking to work down the sidewalk, just having that spirit of prayer. And then obviously, as John covered, we were, we were taught how to pray uh, in Matthew 6. Yeah. Um, pray yeah. usually is not just asking God for something. Right. Praise is a form of prayer. Exactly. Just you praise Him. Because when you praise Him, the presence of God comes, and yeah, the presence of God, there's no evil cannot come. That's the belief. So praising him is really Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to talk a lot about how um, praise is, or excuse me, prayer is a form of praise and a, and a form of worship. Um, but we'll cover that a little bit more in other classes too. So I didn't want to get too far into that. But but you're absolutely right. Praise is an important part of acknowledging who God is and what He's done in our lives. Is a very appropriate response as a creature to a Creator, right? Um, I said, I already said this, but I'll say it again. Prayer is participation in the will of God in his entirety. So it's an explicitly Trinitarian experience. 
We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, sort of um, uh, sort of rechalking up some of the individual stuff. Um, this is just a little side note, as a little bonus. Um, I appreciated what Josh said last week. He was referencing something that Doug Searle said, where uh, man is the praying mammal, or the, the praying animal, praying mammal. I wanted to bring that up because um, I, I personally, I don't know about you guys, I have a lot of, a lot of friends that are in some version of deconstruction. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this concept, this term, what's happening uh, these days, but there are a lot of people sort of my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger, wrestling with their faith. What does any of this even mean? And they go through this process of deconstructing, right, where they're tearing their faith apart and seeing what's true, what's not true. What do I, what do I actually believe, right? Um, and so for me, I just... That line really stuck out to me. And so what I wanted to say was why individual prayer is important is, and I'm going to stretch this a little bit, so bear with me. I feel like prayer is actually very important apologetically because the creed and the confession of the world will tell you that man is simply an animal, that man is a highly evolved animal. And we know that not to be true. Why? Because we go back to the creation story and what we see is we see that God created man and he created man and woman to have dominion over the earth, right? And to Doug Searle's point, man is the praying animal, praying mammal, whatever, whatever the quote is, right? That is a distinct separation. Mm-hmm. So apologetically, the fact that we have access to God and pray to God is actually a huge thing. Apologetically, it is incredibly important to remember that there is a distinction between man and animal. Yes, we are both creatures. A dog is a creature and man is a creature. Jeff, you're a creature. My dog is a creature, I don't have a dog, but you know what I'm saying, right? There is a creatureliness to us, but we are also still distinctly separate from the rest of creation in that God himself breathed life into us, said it is good and gave us dominion over the earth. So we are distinctly separate from the rest of creation in that way. And that part of that is through prayer. The fact that we can speak to God uh, is a big thing. So anyway. All right. Well, so I want to make a transition into, that's kind of our recap. And I kind of want to go back into, um, well, I have in my notes the context of the individual. So we'll go through that real quickly. And then the context of prayer in a corporate setting. But I wanted to say a few things as we transition into that. And this is just for me. So for those of you that know me, Ron in particular, Riley, Barrett, Ryan. Um, I often say things and then I, I give a disclaimer before almost everything I say. Because I'm always afraid to like offend or hurt or whatever. So what I want to do is I want to do one giant disclaimer right now and then I can say whatever else I want. <laughs> and you guys, you guys will hopefully know where my heart and spirit is in it. So let me get my disclaimer out of the way. Did you give a disclaimer for the disclaimer? I think I did. <laughs> Very meta in that way. Um, so I have three points here. In your disclaimer? In my disclaimer. Okay. It's a big one. It's a, it's a big disclaimer. Yeah, it's a big old asterisk. Okay, so first first of all, what, what are we talking about? What's the overall topic of this class? Say it aloud. Ordinary means of grace, right? Which are the things that God uses to sanctify us. Great. It's important to remember that in all of these things, we are empowered and enabled to pray through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you hear anything come out of my mouth that would suggest that we do this in our own power, feel free to correct me or know that I'm wrong. Because my intention 
is to paint this picture of how dependent we are on the Holy Spirit to do any of this, right? It is not within our own power to choose God. It's not within our power to obey God. It's not in our ability or power to commune with him. The power to fight sin, commit ourselves to prayer, and otherwise participate in the ordinary means of grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Point two, while scripture is clear on the what, it is always not exact. It's not always exact in the how. So we're, we're going to discuss what prayer looks like in the context of family, corporate gatherings, uh, and our, in our own as individuals. And we'll be using scripture that does speak clearly to these things and directly to these things, but we'll also be using scripture that sort of talks around it and sort of forming some opinions based on that. Uh, and then point three, as we discuss the contexts uh, and how prayer should look like in these, I want you guys to remember Matthew 11, 29 through 30. Does anybody know that off the top of their head or can somebody look that up and read it real quick? So the reason I bring that up, it wasn't that long ago, even in our church and in the context of the conversation around sanctification, where when we start talking about what we as believers are supposed to do, we sometimes get squirrely, right? We're afraid that by defining these things in very particular ways that we're somehow being legalistic. Um, and there's always this, there's always ditches on both sides that we can always sort of like try, you know, kind of veer off into unintentionally. So my disclaimer and the last part of my disclaimer is the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, they added all sorts of prescriptions to it. They made it very, very legalistic, and it was crushingly burdensome, right? So how the Pharisees interpreted the law and the things they added to it was absolutely nuts, and it crushed people, right? But in this passage, what does that passage say? It says, take on my yoke, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jesus makes it clear that the yoke of his discipleship brings rest through simple commitment. So as we allow scripture to inform the how of our prayer in these contexts, please know that we're not attempting to add anything to the law. We're not adding law, but we're simply trying to do what God has asked us to do, and that is to apply the wisdom of scripture to these things that we're talking about. So all that to say, my, my hope and my intention is to bring clarity bring wisdom and instruction to our prayer, but not in a legal some way, not in a burdensome way. Um, so there's my disclaimer. And with that, I'm done. Let's just talk about what we're supposed to be talking about. Um, okay, so I'm going to run through real quick the individual part again. Uh, it says, what, I asked, what, is, what does private prayer do for the individual? So Psalm 27.8 summarizes both sides of this, God's request and our response. The psalm writer says, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. So we pray because God calls us to speak to him and our believing hearts cannot help but respond. Even when we are unsure of what to say, our prayers are directed by the Holy Spirit so that even when we do not know how to pray, the Spirit echoes within us the intercessions of Christ above. That's in Romans 8. 
So praying in Jesus' name, uh, praying in Jesus' name is the forerunner of every blessing. For generally speaking, with much prayer, there is much blessing. And with little prayer, there is little blessing. So I'm going to run these real quick. Um, there are some benefits to praying individually. It makes us Christ-like. So in Mark 1, Mark 6, Luke 6, right before the Garden of Gethsemane, what did Jesus do? If you had to guess in light of what we're talking about, the point I'm trying to make, in those passages, what did Jesus do? And what? And how did he do it? Alone. Alone. He literally left whatever he was doing. He said, okay, guys, that was a great sermon. Get on the boat and go over there. I'm going to go on the mountain and pray by myself. That's what he did. And he did that in multiple places throughout Scripture where he literally says, I'm going to go off and pray. I'm going to go do it by myself. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. But I'm going to go do this by myself, right? So for us, individual prayer makes us Christ-like in that we are actually imitating Christ, right? If Christ on earth, being both God and both man, needed to commune with the Father alone, how much more do you think that we should do that? How much more do you think we need that, right? So even Christ himself went off and prayed alone. It deepens our relationship with God. If the Bible is God communicating to us, then prayer is how we communicate to him. Uh, can somebody read James 4.8? James 4, 8. Mm-hmm. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It deepens our relationship with God in that as we draw closer to him, he draws closer to us. Point three is it brings fruitful conviction. So we kind of talked about that a little bit already. Um, how in the process of praying out loud, Right? We're communicating with God. And we start saying these things that are in our hearts and in our minds, things that we haven't even spoken out loud. And there's somehow the process of just saying these things out loud that makes us realize either like how aligned or unaligned we are to what God actually wants for us or what God says in his word. So it brings conviction. And, we, and conviction is a helpful thing. Right? Um, and then lastly, it humbles us and deepens our dependence on him. Uh, could somebody please read uh, Psalm 86? Yeah, if you don't mind. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, 
and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So I wanted to end that section with that. Um, I don't know what you guys heard. But what I heard was, as uh, this guy, I don't even know who he is. I just found this quote that was interesting. Apparently he's written a book called The Theology of Prayer. He describes prayer as the language of creaturely dependence. I really like that description because we are creatures. We have a creator. God is our creator. And I think that everything that we've already kind of discussed is found in that one, that essentially that one psalm, right? Um, it humbles us. David prays for God to be gracious to him. He refers to himself as God's servant. He refers to himself as the son of his handmaid. He admits that he's afflicted and needy. He admits his weakness by asking God to grant him strength. He seeks comfort in God. So all the things that we think about in, in terms of the benefits of prayer, we sort of see in this passage, right? It's very clear to us. In Psalm 86, as David's describing all these realities that come with prayer. And um, it is long, but that was one of my favorites that I dug up. So, all right. I'm trying to stay on track. If anybody has any questions or any comments, just please start talking. Um, I want to make sure we get through all of it, though, so I'm going to kind of move a little more quickly. So, so now I want to kind of move into, that's sort of like what prayer is in general, what benefits prayer has for us um, as individual believers. But I want to move into the idea of praying corporately. And so I'm combining church and family. I think there's a lot of overlap. So this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Uh, there's not a lot of very clear, explicit instruction that says, this is how you should pray with your family prayers, blah, 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 right? It just, it's not super clear. There's a lot of what scripture talks about in terms of uh, teaching our children, teaching them to fear and respect God, uh, raising them in the fear of the admonition of the Lord. So we know that there's a scriptural mandate on us as believers to run our homes in such a way that glorifies God. Part of that is teaching our children how to pray, to model prayer for them. Um, but it, there's not a lot of specific outlined instruction, so I am overlapping the two. We're going to talk a little bit about what scripture says um, about praying corporately. We're going to combine those two. So, uh, what does... Um, what do you think the benefit is? I just kind of want to hear from you guys, because I, I could keep talking and that'd be whatever, but I want to hear from you guys. Um, what do you think the benefits are to, obviously there are benefits and there are even mandates to pray alone, right? Go off and pray in secret, as scripture says. But there are also all these conversations in scripture about people gathering together to pray. We see this in Acts, we see this in Romans, we see it kind of all over the place, Old Testament especially. What do you think the benefit is to a body of believers or a group of believers getting together to pray? Practically, what are some of the benefits? Unity. Unity. That's a good one. I often feel quite encouraged hearing others pray. Yeah. What else? You remind me of a scripture. They said one can cast 1,000 to a can. We can do 10,000. So the power of our body, bodies coming together, all the members are together in one accord. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's the extension of the fellowship piece too, because like 
hanging out by yourself, like you only get so far, you're only so smart, you kind of pull a couple people together, you have different skills and talents that kind of add together and encourage each other. Yeah. All you're doing is saying, okay, now we are the body of Christ, right? We all have different things. So I guess a toenail can't talk to that by itself all the time. So. <laughs> I love that. Are yeah. you the toenail? I mean, I've referred to myself as other things before, and you, know, you weren't here, Damien, so therefore I won't go there again. So Reed can explain it to you. That was a very long way of saying yes. He's yeah. <laughs> I think it helps you um, kind of see stop the navel gazing when you're hearing other people pray and being reminded of the other needs because you can get really, I don't know, self-absorbed. And then yeah. you remember all these other needs of the body when people pray together. Yeah. There's an instructional aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially when, when there's new believers or kids, you know, they come into a context that they're not totally familiar with and, you know, they're, they know that they're supposed to pray. I have no idea how to, how to do that. And then they hear other people pray. Yeah. You know, um, and that's very similar to uh, in the family when, when the parents pray, or, you know, whenever they pray, if they're, if they're doing it um, out loud in the corporate setting, the kids learn how to pray. You know, they, they learn how to be dependent. They learn, oh, even mommy and daddy need to need to trust God I, I need to trust God too yeah, yeah. that's absolutely true uh, Matthew 18 19 and 20 it's talking about where two or three are gathered in his name he's with them and do you want to read that real quick yeah uh, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. It reminds me of um, <clears throat> it's it's funny. I have a so it reminds me of the passage in Ecclesiastes that talks about the the cord of three strands, mm -hmm. so, right? Not easily broken. Not easily broken, right? So there's obviously there's a power in things being joined together, specifically people. And I the reason I laughed was I actually when I proposed to Phoebe, I quoted that verse like I was some sort of like smooth Christian dude, like, this is why we should get married. It's two better than one. It's me and her and Jesus. So. There you go. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, and that's, it. honestly, that's sort of the impetus for me to sort of kind of combine these things, right, is that exact passage of two more that gather my name. Uh, what does it say, Josh? Josh? Exactly. Uh, I am there in their midst. I am there in their midst. And the things that we ask for will be given to us. So, yeah. What else? Those are really great thoughts. You guys are hitting a lot of my talking points. So you guys keep going. You teach yourselves. <laughs> for me, I find that um, praying with other people strengthens my faith. Yeah. Because if I'm doubting or if I'm feeling like I'm the only one who believes this and that I'm all alone, and then like hearing other believers and realizing like they believe too. God is working and he has other people it's not just me what who is it I don't remember somewhere in the Old Testament where some prophet is talking about some city and God says well don't worry I have other people in the city that you don't know about I don't know if probably somebody is in the Lord will remember but it's like that like you just forget that you're not, you're not the only one who believes in that God has people 
of every tribe and tongue and nation. Like, mm -hmm. You're not in a sinking ship. Yeah, yeah it's exciting. You're like, yeah. He's really doing something here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the other things is that it, it reminds us that we are not saved just in a bubble, right? We are not individually reconciled to God. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that we are first reconciled to each other, and then as one, we're reconciled to God. So being dependent upon God, yes, but also being dependent on the rest of the body that you're with. You know, um, it's, it is a means of grace to be part of that fellowship, to be part of that body. Yeah. Yeah, we are the bride yeah. of Christ. Not if, the brides. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and join forever, uh, the the image of God is best displayed in the corporate body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And you know, when corporately this is I know myself uh, and all the ladies and maybe pray to all those people that they've been in God for a long time. When they pray I love to listen to them. Then I said, yes, yes, God, I agree with that. Yes, I agree with that. It really, I learned from them too, and I realized what is the need of community, what is the need of every person, what we need to do, how we are going wrong and wrong. So I love to hear when they would pray them, and to listen to them. Because in knowing it, my spirit would start to listen, to, you know, and make me to become stronger through their prayers. <clears throat> I think the same reason that I, when I said encouragement earlier, what Phoebe said actually was what I was going for, that my faith was strengthened, and it reminded me, for some reason I'm thinking about quotes today, it reminded me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote this book called Life Together, and this this was a like a 100-page treatise on the importance of Christian community, and in that, one of the quotes he said, it, it seems odd at first, but I think what he's getting at is being strengthened by others. He said the Christ in your own heart or in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And so sometimes you're strengthened by the presence, the community, the prayer of others. And you need that community. You need that corporate prayer to be encouraged and strengthened by others when sometimes your faith is flailing. I think we're also individually confident in different pieces of yeah. a conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you can encourage each other because you, Jeremy might be really good at like giving out meds, right? <laughs> I'm so atonement. Exactly. <laughs> I gotta get bed for <laughs> It's also like a, a great equalizer because both mm -hmm. in the home and in the church, everyone, their prayers of equal value mm -hmm. and they get the like same access. I'm praying with your child, let's say, like all of a sudden changes the whole family dynamic there. It's like not, not uh, son or daughter to parent. It's like co-equal brother, sister. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've mentioned that before in a different conversation, this idea that as your, as your children become believers, it's like, yes, temporally that is your daughter, your son, but in a more real sense, like that is your brother or sister in Christ, which is kind of weird to think about, but really awesome. We really think about that and the implications of that. Viewing our children as as co-heirs, as co it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful picture. So, um, technically we have 10 minutes left, so I'm gonna kind of rush through this. You guys have basically covered all my points. 
Um, but I kind of want to go through them again real quickly, add a few scriptures to them, um, and we'll go from there. So the first thing I think was, and you guys have already said it, is the process, the, 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 the whole thing of corporate prayer encourages believers. So we live in a broken world. We are marred by the existence of sin. Life is hard, right? Uh, we often find ourselves unsure how to, re- how to reconcile the calamity and the nonsense we see in the world with God's sovereignty. So life is hard. Life is uneasy. There's sin in the world. Praying together encourages us, right? Being together with a body of believers reorients not only my own individual heart and mind, but our hearts and minds back to Christ. In corporate prayer, we remind our brothers and sisters that God will never forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that we have a Savior who sympathizes with our weakness. Uh, It's discipleship. When believers get together to pray, we learn from each other. You guys have said that, right? As young believers hear the prayers of the mature and faithful, their faith grows. So this is kind of how we can apply it both in a corporate context and in our families, right? How important is it for our children, as Damien said, to see us depend on God day to day, right? If we are trying to operate within our own power, and Fiona and I had a great conversation about this last night, what that actually means, um, what it actually looks like to operate in our own power. When we deny ourselves the opportunity to do that, the temptation to do that, and when we reorient ourselves to depend on God, when we live that day-to-day in our own homes and our children see that, it is a boon to them, right? It is a blessing to them. For them to see us actively depend on God through praying to Him, praying, uh, requesting these things of Him, praising Him through prayer, seeking Him through prayer, uh, it, is a, it is a boon to everybody that participates in that, not only in a corporate setting, but in our families as well. Uh, it teaches us how to be conformed to the likeness of, of, of Christ, right? So Romans 8.29. It creates in believers a habit of prayer, right? As we seek times of praying together, it makes us more consistent in acknowledging the fact that we need to do that, right? By being more consistent and actually spending time in prayer, we actually remind ourselves of how weak we are and how much we actually need to commune with God, Right? We become more consistent in expressing that need through prayer. Uh, Setting aside time to pray together spurs us on in ways that wouldn't be true necessarily if we chose to exclusively pray alone. So I'm going to read this real quick. Actually, can somebody read Hebrews 10, 24 through 25? And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So that pretty clearly expresses this need for us to, as believers, come together, be together, pray together. Right? And then Ecclesiastes 4.9, obviously the cord of three strands is not easily broken. So there's a sense in which scripture talks about the benefit of believers being together, the strength there is, the unity, as you said, which is another point. Um, so would somebody read, going to the next point real quick, can somebody read Ephesians 5, 11 through 14? And then can somebody else read 1 John 1, 7 through 9? I've got Ephesians. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
Am I in the right? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is 1 John 1, 7-9. I've got it. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, prayer encourages confession, and it aids us in our battle against sin. Now, obviously, I think there are some right and wrong ways to uh, corporately confess sin. Uh, there's a sense in which you can obviously share too much. Um, but I think that broadly speaking, this idea of being willing to confess sin to a brother, even corporately, there's obviously, as we see in those passages, there's a benefit to confessing our sin out loud to God in a corporate setting. Now, again, I'm not going to put any particulars on how that works, but just that, just to make the point that in Scripture we do see that, right? And there's a power to that. And then James 5, 16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So individual prayer uh, makes... Uh, this is really, I've worded this really weird. Individual makes use of only part of a weapon against sin. There is strength in gathering others to pray. So as we confess our sins in private, in secret, like we are obviously battling sin in that way, but there is a power in corporate prayer when we as believers get together and confess our sin there's a power to that all right it builds unity jesus says that we cannot offer him a gift if we have something against our brother matthew 5 can somebody read this matthew 5 23 through 24 So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Thank you. So it builds unity. So obviously there's this sense in which we cannot bless our brothers. Um, if we are unreconciled to him. So the idea of being in prayer together, I mean, think about it. When you're, when you're going to somebody's house, you're going to hang out with somebody, you're going to otherwise fellowship with some person, and you have some gripe or complaint or sin against them, right? What do you do? You clear that up before you do that, right? Mm-hmm. How awkward is it to hang out with somebody that you know you're frustrated with, right? <laughs> and obviously we're not perfect in that, um, but there's a sense in which there has to be reconciliation amongst brothers, and so this idea of coming together corporately in prayer and otherwise, there's a sense in which we can't, we can't honestly bless each other if we're unreconciled. And so prayer kind of forces that hand, so to speak. By coming together corporately and praying, we're sort of forced to reconcile with our brother and the, the sins that we have against each other. Um, as we regularly come together, we're reminded to maintain the unity of the, uh, the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Ephesians, uh, I'll just read this. Uh, it's 1 through 3. 
Um, that's the whole section in Ephesians where Paul's talking about unity in the body. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, uh, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So obviously there's a sense in which corporate prayer also invites us to be unified to one another. With that, we are pretty much done. Any last comments? Any last statements that want to be made? Danny? Yes? Where does some... stands out to me that it was not discussed. Where does the Lord's Prayer fit? What value does it have? Because it's something I've noticed, like, corporately, we don't pray. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of view that as... I mean, obviously, that's, you know the context of Jesus being with his disciples and they asked him directly, like, Lord, how should we pray? And he says, you should pray like this, right? So in that moment, he's literally just teaching them how to pray. And that's how he describes prayer. And that's the instruction for us. I think that it is important to look at that passage, look at how Jesus describes prayer and that structure of prayer and to consider it as we pray but that it isn't the only reference to prayer in Scripture. It's not the only way that we have to pray. I think that it is a model for us. It's something to consider as we pray, just in general, right? Like acknowledging who God is and acknowledging the creature status that we have, the creator versus creature status, asking for that our wills to be aligned to his, that his, more specifically, that his will be done, right? And so there's this idea of us aligning our wills to him. So I think that given this is how Jesus is describing how we should pray to disciples, there's a, an appropriate weight that we should put on that example, but that it's not the only, the only way to pray. It is a sort of a guiding, a guiding notion. It is something to consider as we pray. It was never intended to be a rote memorization right. prayer, right. right? It was intended to be, look, these are the types of things that you yeah. should be praying about recognizing God's holiness, recognizing your sinfulness, recognizing that um, you need forgiveness and you're also going to forgive others, right? Um, Recognizing that all good gifts come down from the Father of lights with whom there is no change or shifting shadow. That is the daily bread. You know, just all of those individual points are what make the Lord's Prayer what it was it, it but it was never intended for us to constantly repeat that as kind of a mantra yeah. and i agree with all of that yeah i do wonder about we've talked in classes before about memorization mm-hmm. and i feel like that's a really important one absolutely like for us as believers and our children to memorize. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah i agree because i grew up in a church that recited it every day and I don't pray that prayer now as an adult, but having memorized it and heard it so many times, I understand the structure of prayer. Right. Because I understood it as the principle. I I think that's the reason it was, I mean, I think that's the reason it was plugged into the liturgy over the course of Christian history is to have that memory. Training in how to pray. Exactly. But the context of of that passage is Jesus is telling them that's a personal prayer. Yeah. Yeah. He starts, before he goes into the Lord's Prayer, he says, don't be like these people who are publicly praying. He says, "Go into your quiet place." Like he's describing individual prayer. Yeah, and that's that. That is individual prayer instruction. Absolutely. And Not I do actually say that there's anything wrong. I yeah, mean, totally. It's awesome. Yeah. No, actually, I really agree with that point too, Eric. Just about memorizing it. 
because one, I mean, we're commanded to write scripture in our hearts anyway. So this idea of memorizing and knowing scripture, having it written on our hearts, is a, is a mandate anyway, which that is a part of scripture. The other thing is, we see no problem or qualms or trouble with catechizing our children, right? Going through a catechism. Those aren't necessarily scripture, right? Those are the words of man sort of framed up in an appropriate way. But just like we look to the creeds and confessions to sort of help us understand scripture better, like there's nothing wrong with memorizing that prayer as long as it doesn't become a mantra, right? As long as it's not the only thing we ever pray every single day, right? Then it becomes rote. It becomes this thing that we do to fill ourselves up that doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. But memorizing it's important because all of scripture should be written on our heart. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You must memorize it. You're saying that at the first, you're just saying it. It's the word coming out of your mouth. Yeah. But the more you sing it, you get the understanding of it. Mm. You get afraid. Oh, it is true. Yeah, it is true. And you realize you get to know you more. You know, when you go to your father, your father, the earthly father, you are calling dad and you say this. And then you try to talk nice to him to give you whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how well I'll get this point across, but um, so like anything that is good that is done by God is not good because he, it, it is good because he's the one that did it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's this prayer gives us the opportunity of of speaking his words back to him mm. and and the words of of him is like the ultimate words that could be yeah. said I guess yeah uh, and so as uh, you, know, you read through like like 119 Psalms 119 yeah. um, those those kinds of things so I just you know kind of like the worship aspect of prayer and things like that yeah absolutely yeah prayer as a as a as a part of worship is important yeah, I think, and I think there's value, as we've talked about, just to end with that, the idea of writing scripture in our hearts. These are the words, literally the words of God. And like to your point, the Lord's Prayer are the words of Jesus. So there's an appropriate way we put on those. Um, and I think it's important that we do that. Even something Callie mentioned last week, they're like the imprecatory psalms, right? Like this idea of, of literally just, of basically a call, an appeal to God's justice, right? Like in this day and age, right? Just this appeal to God's justice, right? God, there's wickedness in the land, will you remove it, right? Um, so this idea of praying through the Psalms, literally repeating God's words back to him, I think is a, is a really cool concept. It's something we should keep in mind as we pray, both in individual contexts and in corporate contexts. So. Can I, um, there's this uh, secular uh, psychologist who puts out a lot of good information in my mind, but the, one of the things he, he did recently was he went to the um, Museum of the Bible and actually as he was there it, it made a really big impression on him um, how literature is actually sets of sort of a filter by which um, everybody can view things the same way and he said that the Bible is that particular fabric that everybody has this ability to um, know God and and know what he wants in our lives and it, it, it's self-explanatory in a way because it just you don't even realize that you've learned so much but it, the interesting thing I sat there and I thought man that's probably why I need to read my Bible more because I'm not really that smart when it comes to these things right and I'm like but you know you see that uh, that you're as you're exposed to 
kind of the dictionary of of the Bible, you know, and you start to understand the different words, and you start to uh, get the lingo. It, it actually does add more and more. But if if you're if you're not exposed to that stuff, and you just like I sit in this room with you guys, and I'm going, gosh, these guys are giants when it comes to the Bible, and I just you know you feel so like very young, almost in kindergarten. And you don't really understand all this stuff, but it's, it's like really uh, good to be in the, that presence in that in that environment and have that um, to start feeding that. In you know, anyway, that's I hope that's no, yeah, absolutely. I think that the the line that I made earlier that I got from somebody else was, you know, the Bible is how God communicates to us, mm-hmm. right? So the prayer is how we communicate to Him, right? Like you don't. You don't get to know somebody by just talking to them and never allowing them an opportunity to talk, right? If 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 a relationship is two people coming together um, and getting to know one another, then the the application I'm making here is that reading the word and prayer goes together, mm-hmm. right? We can't really we can do one or the other, but how how like uh, half-hearted is that basically, right? The ordinary means of grace, both reading reading the word and praying are parts of the ordinary means of grace that God uses to sanctify us. So to that point, how do we how do we communicate or have a relationship with somebody that we don't know well? So those things go hand in hand. That makes sense? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think to that point, that's very correct. Like having scripture as a lens is a lens through which we understand and know God because that's his word. He's given it to us. That's how we know him. Yeah. And so now because we know him, as Josh said, we can repeat his words back to him. So anyway. Living the word is this like seeking the God, mm-hmm. seeking the Lord. Yeah. That's what we did and just seeking him what we did. Amen. Yeah. All right, we are way over time, so I'm gonna pray real quick. Can we pray for this thing? I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna ask God uh, give me the reason how to pray for everyone who are to intercede. That's why he give me the I used to pray for God to make this country for union sake to save this. And I haven't done it for so long. Last time they opened, uh, Daniel says, these are your people to Israel, and Jerusalem and Zion is your holy mountain for your name's sake. Can we pray for the United States of America? So I prayed yeah, last night individually. Can we do that? God save this nation. This nation was built on your name. And our Almighty said, in God we trust. Bring this nation out of the darkness and let us say that he will be a light to all creation, that all the nation, all the other leaders see it and they come to you. Can we do that? We can pray for the for the lost, sure. Absolutely. And, and for the omission, sure. maybe we need it. Absolutely. Well, God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to know you, to be known by you, to study your word together. Uh, to talk about what your word says and how we apply it to our lives. God, we thank you so much um, for being here. Thank you for loving us first so that we can love you. We ask that you'd be with uh, Brennan this morning as he preaches from your word. Give him uh, confidence. Give him boldness. Um, Speak through him, God. Um, Give him the words that need to be said. Um, And if appropriate, the words not to say. Uh, Just give him um, uh, the ability to speak your word truthfully. God, teach us what it is that you have for us today. And God, just be with our country, be with our nation, be with the people in it, be with the people all across the world that don't know you. God, we pray for our leaders, that they would lead, lead us well, 
We pray for our church leaders in our individual context, that they would lead us well. God, we pray for the hearts of those that don't know you. God, we do pray that that those are seeking, for those that are knocking, that you would answer, and that they would be um, that they would be quickened, that the scales would fall from their eyes, and that they would see you. And we pray all this, God, in your name. Amen. Amen.